Hello and welcome to the Political Party. This episode features the founding leader of the Women's Equality Party, Sophie Walker. And oh my word, what a phenomenal journey of a conversation, taking in all varied things about leadership, the lessons of leadership, different types of leadership, um, the importance of having a Women's Equality Party and forcing other political parties to change their view uh, on women's uh, basically policy. Uh, Just There's so much in this. Uh, The personal, the political, both. Um, Oh man. It is such a uh, stimulating conversation. And um, I'm not ashamed to say that at times, uh, trying my best not to bumble through it as a a clumsy bloke trying to talk about uh, an issue that uh, frankly does not directly affect me and and trying to do that whilst not losing the goodwill of of Sophie Walker. Um, But, oh my God, it was so good. And um, I think it overran as these conversations often do. But, I I mean, as always, there was so much more we could have discussed. But it is, uh, it's a corker. So enjoy it. Uh, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And um, as many people have. And thanks to uh, a couple of recent emails, uh, Alexander Griffiths, who's just listened to his first episode of the podcast with Patrick O'Flynn. Interesting that you chose that one. Although, I have to say, Patrick was a phenomenal guest, so uh, not necessarily surprising in itself, but rather than starting with the most recent, or uh, the uh, or indeed uh, the um, the first. And uh, thank you as well to Richard Colwell, who's just listened to the November podcast. Why November, Richard? Just out of interest. Um, but do let me know where you listen and, uh, and who you listen to, and... Um, any thoughts and reflections on any of the shows are always welcome. Political Party Podcast at gmail.com. I've got a few tour dates left uh, on the 9th of May. I'm at the Salford Lowry. That has almost sold out, and that's the second date that I've added there. So thank you very much. But you can get uh, the last handful of tickets there uh, through my website, mattford.com slash live. On the 10th of May, my only Welsh date, Aberystwyth. Uh, on the 12th of May, the Edinburgh Stand. That one has almost sold out, so be quick if you want to come to that. The 13th of May at the Glasgow Stand. The 14th of May at the Newcastle Stand. The 18th of May at the Chorley Little Theatre. The 24th of May at the Camberley Theatre. And my last date of the tour, big day in London, at a beautiful venue, the London Bloomsbury Theatre, on Saturday the 25th of May. Uh, that's enough self-promotion for now. I'll leave you in the hands of Sophie Walker. I'm delighted to be joined by the founding leader of the Women's Equality Party, Sophie Walker. Sophie, welcome to the show. Hello. And um, thank you so much for coming in. Um, there's a lot to talk about. You led the party for four years. Yes. Uh, and uh, a few months ago, left the leadership uh, of the party. Yes. But let's let's go right back to the start of the founding of that party. A very exciting time where Sandy Toxvig and Catherine Mayer set yes. up this new political force. So they found the party, but they don't want to lead it. Um, which is an interesting dynamic in itself. Mm. How did you end up becoming leader? Uh, I Purely by accident. Um, I, so I knew um, Catherine a wee bit because I was working um, as a journalist at the time and um, we had met several times in the lobby because I was foreign correspondent for a while for Reuters news agency. So I was uh, in Westminster and around and Catherine was working for Time magazine and we sort of knew each other, you know, to sort of wave and say hello mm. to a wee bit. And um, I had, uh, over the last um, sort of 
uh, year of that time in Reuters had become increasingly active in uh, campaigning for disability rights, specifically a better understanding of and support for women and girls on the autistic spectrum, um, because my daughter had been diagnosed with autism and it had been a really long and painful uh, process. It had taken five years to get a diagnosis. I had at that time um, uh, lived uh, for a while as a single parent trying to keep down a job, trying to pay the rent, trying to get the support for my daughter that was just, you know, barely there. Uh, and I had started to really understand a couple of things. One was the contempt for which, uh, ca- the contempt in which carers are held yeah. by people in positions of power in this country, and the second was a sort of a very tentative and early understanding of what is what I that later understood to be intersectionality, which was that my daughter was not just going to face discrimination as a woman, but as a disabled woman, um, and um, and it was around about so it's twenty fifteen. You remember in those days, uh, we used to have elections every five years. Um, And I was looking at, you know, what was coming over the hill and thinking, I don't want to vote for any of those people. I just, you know, and that was a really shocking situation to be in because... um, you know, I you know I became a reporter because I I cared deeply about the state of the world. I wanted to tell stories. You know, my parents were both working class Northerners who were very political. We did a lot of marching. You know, so to find myself looking at a vote and thinking like I'm sort of done with this, I think was awful. So when Catherine said. Um, uh, it was one of those classic uh, Facebook posts. Catherine put a post on Facebook saying, um, uh, I've had a sandwich for my tea and I'm starting a women's equality party. <laughs> I was like, right, I'm in. Uh, and I'll have a bit of that sandwich as well, please. <laughs> so what was it about the political weather in 2015 that was so disillusioning? Was mm-hmm. it that you'd previously supported a particular party that had moved too far in a particular direction? Or was it something else? I think it was, I was really tired of being told uh, as a woman and a feminist to wait in line. Uh, I think there was a lot of talk about um, uh, equality and opportunity and uh, uh, respect. You know, I mean, the way respect is used now, actually, is quite terrifying, actually. You know, but at the time, it was still, you know, a word that you could respond to positively. Yes, yeah, you could. Yeah, I remember <laughs> um, those days. Uh, and... Um, uh, but I just thought, you know, I, um, I'd never been a member of any other political party. Uh, you know, my mum and dad were tribally Labour. My mum came from uh, the North East, um, uh, where, you know, the mines had all been closed down. I, when I grew up, as I was growing up in Glasgow, um, you know, again, through we lived through Thatcher, uh, which was very odd. You know, my early childhood days were of, you know, mum and dad being furious about that mm. woman, um, who was, as they saw it, you know, laying waste to uh, social cohesion um, and uh, and all the things they held dear. So um, I always had a very strong sense of um, uh, social justice, I suppose, you know, the original social justice warrior. <laughs> um, but um, in terms of, you know, membership of parties, I, I, I had never member, I'd never been a member of a party. I, you know, I, I had um, participated uh, but I, I think also having been a reporter and covering politics, I saw firsthand how much of it seemed to be about ego yeah. and personal power and briefing and counter-briefing. Um, I travelled all around the world. I worked out of Paris, I worked out of Washington. I did. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan and, and I, I just saw how 
distant the people in power were from those they claimed to represent mm. so often. And um, and I just felt in 2015 that I'd, I'd just had enough. I just thought, you know what? I'm, it's like when I was wee, um, Top of the Pops was on on Thursdays, uh, Thursday nights. My mum used to sort of like sit silently until she could bear it no longer and say, I'm on there next week. Um, <laughs> and that was back then when I, music was good. <laughs> right. God knows how she feel now. Right, but I sort of got to that point with politics. I thought, <sighs> God, I'm going to give it a go. But there's a different... I mean, th- most people, when they first become politicised in a party sense, and we yeah. said that history of um, political belief and values, but they join a party and they think, you know, entry level is leafleting, not leadership. You went straight in at the top. Right, well, so that was a total accident, right? I mean, that it was It can not... only be an accident, so, right. you know... You... <laughs> no, I did not think, oh, what am I going to do? But I know I'll lead a political party. No, what happened was, um, Catherine said she was going to do this thing, and and then um, and I thought, yes, absolutely, we need a party. We need a... We need to establish feminism as a political ideology in and of itself. You know, I don't believe we live in a meritocracy. I don't, you know, you know, I cannot believe that all these white, upper middle class, straight, non-disabled men, you know, are running the place because they've just got more talent than the rest of us. I do not believe in yes. a meritocracy. Similarly, I don't think we tackle and uh, the biggest problems by only looking at them through a class lens. Um, I believe that there is there are patriarchal structures that that are hurting women that we that we're not seeing um uh so so i felt very strongly that the, there was a you know that it was time to be you know a political feminist if you like um and catherine uh, so they, so so we sort of said well um let's have a public meeting so we had a public meeting um to sort of talk about you know canvas opinion for this idea of a party should we should we do this? What should we call ourselves? What should we aim for? And um, and um, Catherine said to me, why don't you um, talk? Uh, we'll have some people on the stage come and... And I was like, meh, I'll put the chairs out. <laughs> um, and um, and she said, no, um, why don't you talk about childcare? Why don't you, you know, talk? And I sort of thought, uh, do you mean that pub rant that I do about childcare? <laughs> um, and she sort of said, yes, but, you know. <laughs> and what was really... Um, because, you know, I... As I said, I had come through this understanding. I mean, I think, I think childcare uh, 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 radicalizes women. I think it's the point at which you know when you have children. I mean, this happen- women are radicalized through all sorts of experiences. I'm not saying this is uniquely down to you know the women who uh, choose to or are able to have children. But I had children that, and for me, that was the point where everything that I thought I had understood was exposed as a lie. Yeah. You know. That, that suddenly I was, uh, my children were lifestyle choices <laughs> and that, you know, I, uh, I, it was down to me to balance, um, you know, uh, how I was going to look after them and have a career and, uh, or just basically work, never mind have a career. Um, and woe betide if those children had particular additional needs. So um, I, um, so I, I, I stood up and, at this public meeting and, and sort of, you know, explained why I felt that, uh, you know, childcare and care and value, valuing carers and respecting carers and investing in carers was an absolute cornerstone of any political party for equality. And that is and particularly reason to found a women's equality party. And it was totally brilliant. And I uh, and at the, <laughs> the point at which, you know, my friends would normally be um, checking their watches and talking about the last bus home. Uh, there was a, a lot of people going, yes, <laughs> bring it. <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh, I think I might have found my political home. So 
we um we and there, there were many many brilliant women there that day many many brilliant women who spoke and and met together afterwards and we formed a sort of uh informal working groups steering committees to take the party forward and um about after i don't know a couple of months of this six to eight weeks maybe i sort of went into a meeting one day and um they said oh we've um we've elected you as leader <laughs> um and i was like ah so i think i mean there was an initial thought of well we need to have a voice we need to have a one person representing yeah. the party we don't have the mechanisms to do like proper political party uh, uh, ballots and ballots yet but um, you know such is the nature of uh, the media beast that uh, it, you know you need it was felt that we needed to have one person who was going to go out and, yeah. and talk about the party and represent uh, and I thought well um, you know I'll, I'll um, I was honoured and terrified and spent a weekend you know sort of walking up and down my kitchen talking to my husband like Am I really going to walk away from my job? Um, and how are we going to manage this? Uh, 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 and then we thought, well, let's, you know, there comes a point, right, where you of have course. to, you have to uh, uh, walk the walk, walk the talk, talk the walk, whatever it is, you know, you have to say, right, this really matters, and now it's time to do it. So, so I did. So, you, I mean, leadership itself, and I have this, I say this, having had no experience of it. <laughs> Is, is he, it, it, it strikes me, having observed leaders, or, or at least been around them at, period, at certain times, that in itself is it, it's a tremendous skill. It's not just about ego and, and believing that you're the right person for the job, or indeed other people thinking you're the right person for the job. Mm. It brings with it the need to manage individuals. It's not just about ideas and communication. It brings all sorts of other burdens that I think people don't appreciate until they take on the mantle of leadership. What did you find the greatest challenges were? Well, uh, the last week for me um, has... Uh, the last week in the job or this last no, week? this last week for me has shown me that I think one of the best things I did as leader was to get out of the way for Mandu Reid, who is now the party leader and she is the UK's first black female political party leader. And I could not, I mean, I'm getting a bit choked telling you this, I could not be more delighted. I mean, one of the reasons that I stepped down was because I felt like, um, you know, exactly that leadership is, is, is about getting things done. It's not about the position that you occupy. It's not about the title that you give yourself. Um, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of snake oil salesmen teaching, mm. you know, offering to teach people about leadership, you know, authenticity is this other buzzword that's, yeah. but for me, leading the Women's Equality Party was about how do we get this done? Yes. And a core part of getting it done was to encourage other women to feel that this was a party that uh, represented them, that in in which their voices could be heard, uh, to which they could belong and be active. And I realised that, you know, as a white middle class woman, there's only so long you can talk about intersectionality without looking like a bit of a chump, right? I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I totally know what you mean. That said... That doesn't mean that you can't deliver for people that aren't precisely from your background. No, and that's no. You're absolutely right, and that's not to say that you know only a certain person may speak for that 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 community's background. But in an environment where 
women make up the poorest people in Britain. Mm. Like two-thirds of Britain's poorest people are women in an environment where women have been disproportionately affected by a decade of austerity and black and Asian and minority ethnic and working class and disabled women are those groups whose voices are last to be heard they are the last to be asked if they're asked at all and they are never heard when their representation is as abysmally low at every level of government as it is when we are seeing the divisions in this country that have come from centuries of groupthink by a small white mm. male defensive group, it felt to me absolutely essential and at the heart of the, any success that the Women's Equality Party could have to have a woman of colour leading it. I mean, purely playing devil's advocate, you, you've, you've been harsher on yourself than most leaders would be. And you're already more... I mean, diverse isn't the word, but you already represent more powerful things in a way than, than so many other leaders have, and yet you've judged yourself more harshly than... I'm not interested in measuring myself as, against what's out there. I'm, measure, I'm trying to get done what is long overdue. So in terms of your experience leading a political party for four years, were there any kind of unexpected... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it can be as long as you like. What, what I'm just interested in what the... Une- I mean, I, I would guess that, you know, struggling to be heard, um, fighting against the kind of two-party mindset, mm. uh, let alone, as you say, patriarchal and male structures in politics and mm. all the rest of it, the, the ferocity of the media, the intrusion, uh, all the things that you would expect a party leader, let alone a female party leader of a women's equality party to face. Mm. What were the unexpected problems that you found leading a political party? Well, I mean, we were simultaneously growing a startup, right, as well yeah. as a political party. So I learned a lot about, you know, essentially building a business from the ground up and um, the fact that when you start with, uh, volu- you know, a lot of volunteers, um, you, I mean, two things. One, so one of the really important things I learned was I couldn't tell everybody what what their job was going to be. So there'd be lots of people that would be coming, saying, lots of women, totally brilliant women, saying, yeah. I can do this and I can do this and I can do this, or, you know, I've, I've always been interested in this, what can I do? And I would uh, be like, uh, um, uh, I'll just like I'm going to go home to my massive volunteer spreadsheet and I'll come back to you in a couple of weeks when I figured out whose task is what and 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 I felt constantly like I was chasing you know yeah. these all of these wonderful opportunities and they were falling through my fingers because I didn't actually know what I didn't know yet mm. you know all I knew was that unknown we were unknowns. Hey, the unknown unknowns <laughs> yes so we were trying to keep this thing moving forward without you know and harness the expertise and the and the goodwill and the energy in the most effective ways but I, I didn't always know what was coming next so I didn't I couldn't and then the point at which I had a total uh, uh, breakthrough was the point at which I realized what I needed to be doing was saying what do you want to do how much time have you got mm. what are you going to do next you know come to me because because I think um and again, I you know I, I I fell very early into a very sort of top down level of leadership, like completely unintentionally. I mean, yeah. I was, you know, I I have always worked really hard to walk alongside the people I'm building this party with, to uh, to be a helping hand to making uh, them feel. Uh, uh, I mean, I hate the word empowered, <laughs> but you know. Like to 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 give women agency, right? Yes. 
Um, but I real, but I, you know, nonetheless, I, I, th- I, some of the traps I fell into surprised me. So the idea that I was, I felt like I had to come up with all the answers, and actually, you know, a, a, a movement is a movement because it moves without you, right? Yes. So finding ways to um, to encourage other women to come up with the answers, and or to, rather for me to hear that they already had the answers, right? Um, so that was a really important thing, I think, in terms of organising skills. Um, and I think, uh, what else? Um, oh, yeah, so when you're... Uh, that, uh, yeah, also understanding the sort of diplomacy involved when you are... Uh, when people come to do the things that they love but they might not necessarily be good at. Oh, and spotting that they're actually really, really good at something else. Yeah. But they're not interested in that. <laughs> so doing the sort of, like, actually, I, you know, you're really good... Could you, uh, how how about um uh so i learned a lot about yeah i mean politics is really per, you know it was it's personal right women mm. were coming uh, the women who have grown this party are absolute warriors i mean you know i'm trying really hard not to swear here oh you can swear <laughs> oh this is fine swear your head off no i always got told off for swearing so i try try not to oh it's allowed in this um, forum but they were you know they are they were and they are uh uh you know indomitable and i um felt so proud and massively intimidated by them so you know leadership a lot for me about leadership in the political sphere has been about learning um not to um give in to that constant feeling of like i'm going to get rumbled any minute oh that is that is a you know someone said to me and i think it was someone who worked for tony blair said a's higher a's and b's higher c's I don't know if you've heard that phrase Ooh, before. That's nasty. But top level people feel comfortable around top level oh, people. Oh, that's so nasty. And they say, um, "Well, I think it's a good thing." They say, "You know what? You're. You, I think you're an amazing person. I don't feel threatened by that. I want you on board." Mm. Rather than saying, "Actually, you make me feel inadequate, so I'm going to hire someone that I think is less good." Oh, than me. I see. I see. I thought I've misunderstood. Well, yeah. I, but I also, yeah, no, okay, I get it now. Right. I and, thought what you were and, saying was, yeah. Oh no, I could see how that could be misconstrued, but I. Um, that it's it's people who aren't comfortable with their fi- failings who go, actually, I need people less good than me to make mm. me look good. Mm. And top-level people are the people that go, I know what my failings are, and I'm completely comfortable having other yes. people around that are better than me yes. because that helps the whole team. Yeah, and I think, you know, leadership for me was always about working with a group of people to get something done. That's it, pretty much. I mean, how do you deal with... Uh, and it's the same, I suppose, in a way with... I'm trying to think of other political movements that have a central theme in common, but then can differ on so many other things. Mm. So you'll have had people in the Women's Equality Party, left, right and centre, mm. green, leave, remain, mm. uh, yes and no on Scottish independence. You know, mm. And every political issue would be a, a coalition of other sort of politics. But the party was specifically set up to deal with that. So, well, I suppose what I was going to ask is, did you find that people were, on the whole, more left or right? Or was was there a kind of average... Women's Equality Party member, did you find that it grounded more to the Liberal wing or not? Well, we, I mean, what, I mean, the biggest single group of women in the Women's Equality, among the membership were women who'd never been a member of any other political party before because they just looked at them all and thought, hmm, they don't speak for me, they don't look like me, don't sound like me. Um, 
uh, we set up, I mean, the point of the Women's Equality Party was to show that you can bring about women's equality. That was the whole point of the party. So our policies, our key objectives were around bringing down the structural barriers to women's equality with very practical policies to do it. Yes. Because whenever you talk about women's equality in the political sphere, it provokes a huge amount of chin stroking and head scratching and long pauses, right? I mean, when we started this, you know, you could say, I'm here to talk about women's equality, and they'd be like, hmm, should we talk about Syria? You know, or can we talk about Brexit? Or, you know, those doable things, um, as opposed to women's equality, which was seen as, you know, well, it's going to take about another 100 years. But that, I suppose... Lots and lots of focus groups. We'll make some legislative tweaks around about election time, you know, fob you off a bit. But what we were saying was this is completely doable. So the point I'm, I'm, I'm taking a very long time to get to uh, in terms of your question is that um, we, we decided that we would have six key objectives, which are now seven because um, we weren't quite busy enough. And outside of that... You could express a view on okay. anything you liked, like so long as you know bywords were, you know, diversity, inclusion, equality, respect. You know that we weren't going to allow any members of the BNP in, right? No. So uh, we, uh, because we saw how absurd it was to expect every single member of every single political party to have exactly the same views on absolutely everything. And and furthermore, how it actually damaged the capacities of MPs to res- to represent their communities, their very different communities. So on something like Brexit, was there ever a discussion where you go, actually, we should have... You know, the Women's Equality Party view is that actually we're better off remaining in the European Union. Well, that was one... I mean, that was, you know, guess what? Political party found, <laughs> found that one quite hard. Um, because... Um, uh, for, so for a start, all of our all of our party policies were made by the members, all of them. You know, that's how it worked through a conference model. Yeah, and through um, and 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 through, but and also through um, canvassing opinion. So we when we wrote our first manifesto, our first I beg your pardon policy document, we yeah. did it through um, group meetings like all around the UK I went all around to all the different branches in all the different places we held events and uh, you know we, we asked people you know women at those events what so what would you do about this and and we brought all that together and so it was you know we obviously uh, asked the opinions of you know the experts the academics the researchers but it was also built with you know the knowledge and expertise of female community activists you know who have stepped in to fill this hole where public money has been leached away and and local councils are struggling you know there's a huge amount of brilliant feminist expertise in our communities that we went out to tap uh and so um so yes so that's how we make policy so when uh, the referendum happened yeah there was a certain you know there was a certain amount of expectation that we would naturally back remain um because of all the well-documented work that the eu has done uh in terms of you know, uh, extending and protecting women's workplace rights, for example, um, you know, pregnancy protection, part-time workers' rights, that sort of thing. Um, but I was also really conscious that um, a lot of women would be voting uh, leave because they had been hardest hit by austerity. Mm. Um, you know, the 86p for every pound was paid by women out of uh, out of that austerity budget, you know, because of changes to um, 
uh, welfare and uh, tax. And so, you know, there was a political decision made to make women pay for austerity. But then leaving and the so, European Union doesn't solve it. No, I, listen, I'm a to- like I am I am a remainer and one of the, it was very hard for me to try to work this through in a way yeah. that wasn't going to be a knee-jerk knee instinctive. What do you mean we're leaving the EU? <laughs> um, because, but also, you know, it, again, as a woman who is a carer, um, the EU doesn't see women who aren't in the workplace. Yeah. There is not a social contract with, with uh, you know, with, that the EU has worked on. This is, you know, this is, they see women who, who make it to the workplace. They don't see... The millions of women who don't. So um, yeah, it was it was it, you know it was really hard. It was really hard, and one of the reasons that you know when we when we went into our first um, and again we were canvassing opinion, we were your members were bringing motions to party conferences. One of the one of the reasons when our, we held our first uh, leadership election uh, in twenty eighteen, one of the reasons I ran for that, although I, at that point I was already thinking, look, I wonder if actually you know it should be me. Um, was because I felt very strongly that we needed to get behind a people's vote. Mm. Because I feel like, although I personally think, you know, I was a Remainer, I voted Remain, I still believe that the EU is where we should be. I feel that at this terrible, you know, at this awful period of massive global uncertainty, job insecurity, you know, we've been taught to hate people that don't look and sound like us. I think we should be throwing open borders and being as deliberately, you know, open-minded and internationalist as we can be. Um, and challenging ourselves to do better by forging alliances in that way instead of putting up walls. But I did also feel very much that, that um, you know, telling people they voted wrong is really bad, you know, and, and I think that, you know, an expression of democracy needs to be continuous. Mm. So all that stuff about, well, we had one vote and that was the answer and we're never voting on anything ever again and everything's been decided and uh, it's bollocks. Oh, I did swear. Um, so, but I think that, so anyway, I felt very strongly that people's vote was the way to make this a continuous democratic exercise of saying, okay, so you voted like this. Now we are, you know, we are where we are and we can see that a whole, a lot of this stuff is nonsense or that this is going to be a lot harder than we thought or that the impact and cost is xyz do you still want to do this and i felt that that's particularly important for women because we never actually analyzed this through a gender lens you know we never analyzed uh, brexit through the impact that it would have on women there were far fewer women speaking as part of the campaign there were far fewer women you know being asked to give opinions so for me the people a people's vote is uh, you know a second referendum is is really the way that we we get out of this because uh, you know brexit's not a thing it's a feeling and that's and that's why nobody can give us an answer it's also, I mean, it's complex in the sense that the parliamentary arithmetic does not exist to deliver any one particular deal. And I wonder, well, uh, there was a question, just a question on the back of something you said earlier, just about the way you made policy and, and travelling the UK and, and consulting with different groups, yeah. members and, and experts and, and academics, is... Uh, what parts of the the UK was the were where you had most members? What what areas were particularly strong for for the Women's Equality Party? We've got, I mean, we've got. I think we're now at about seventy five branches uh, in uh, you know across Scotland and England and Wales. Um, we are well represented right right across the UK. We've got um, really strong branches in you know uh, we've got a great branch in Glasgow. 
Good. Um, uh, hometown. We've got great branches in Sheffield, Manchester, Leeds. You know, we're running local candidate candidates for the local elections there right now. Uh, York, um, Liverpool. Uh, I mean, London. You know, we do very we do very well for membership in London. I think that is also because you know we ran. Uh, in the London mayoral, <laughs> I mean, I laugh because that was so much fun. In 2016, London mayoral elections were like 10 months after we opened for membership. We were like, OK, let's give this a go. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. And it, that pr- whole process was uh, joyful um, and also very revealing about how this model was going to work because the, re- the, the reaction of the other parties to us actually being in that political space and contesting for votes was fascinating and very revealing so in what way i mean i can sort of guess but i want to hear you say (laughs) well um so i'm going to i'm going to tell you a story that demonstrates this with apologies to people listening who might have heard this before because i i tell this story a lot because i love it and it makes me laugh every time um so i stood as uh, i was the candidate for london mayor um which which was a bit of a shock um and um we were trying to get a foothold in some of the hustings uh which you know we were having uh what should i say it it was a challenge it was a challenge yes. in the same way that it's a challenge to be seen and heard now right because of ideas of of who's allowed to talk about politics mm. and um you know which parties are the real parties uh so, but uh, so we were talking so the evening standard was doing hustings at the royal geographical society <laughs> massive royal yeah gorgeous place and they invited us to come along uh, and they said, to, uh, Sophie, we'll have you, we'd like you to come along as the surprise candidate. So this is part of the thing, like, don't announce your, don't, we won't announce, don't announce it, announce it on the night and it'll be like, da-da, look who's just joined the race, okay? Mm. So they had, and we were like, great, fine, we'll get, you know, we'll get in the, we might get noticed. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, and also, like we were coming to this very late, so all of the other candidates had been, you know, working on this for like a year. We'd yeah. barely, we were just open for business. It was uh, January, February, I think, and you know the vote was in May. So you know, uh, they were sort of catapulting me into this at the last minute. And uh, so event, so uh, they said you can be the surprise candidate, and I was like, fine, because like right now there's nobody more surprised about <laughs> this than I am. So um, I sort of, you know, uh, sweated quietly uh, in a locked toilet for about 10 minutes until my name was called and then I walked out onto the stage and you know the the candidates for the from the other parties were there I mean Sadiq was there for Labour and Zach for the Tories and um, uh, and George Galloway sitting there doing his thing and um, and I uh, walked out and you could sort of see them all go oh shit (laughs) shit Talk about women now, aren't I? Does anybody know anything about women? Was it all a bit? Anybody? I agree with Nick. Was it that anybody? Kind of... Anything? <laughs> you know, because like our whole campaign was like, there's a 23 percent pay gap in London. Hello, you know, it's the most expensive childcare in the country. Hello, um, uh, and on a far less. I mean, that's not you know that's not funny anyway. But you know, rates of domestic violence, like rates of domestic violence in London in the last seven years, not then now, have gone up nearly seventy percent, sixty five percent. I mean, it, like when? What do you have to do to get this to the top of the agenda? Turns out, you need a women's equality party to go out and say, uh, vote for us, and then hopefully that lot will take it seriously. How different do you think it would have been had Tessa Jowell been selected to be the Labour candidate for London mayor? 
That is a question we were asked all the time. I mean, I, I, um, I absolutely loved Tessa Joe. I didn't know her very well. I met her once or twice. Um, uh, I thought she was wonderful. Yeah, she's um, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, uh, but I, but um, we were out there to get all of the political parties to um, uh, improve their policies. We also always calculated so that we would, if we stood uh, um, in a in a particular seat, we we calculated it so that we would never potentially knock an, a, a, um, a woman out of winning the seat. So there had to be enough there's enough women running, so that our, you know we weren't going to uh, skew the results so yes. that a woman would. And we would never run. We would never, you know, we would also try to ensure that we didn't. Uh, uh, knock out um, uh, we'd never put a white woman against a black woman for example and, but but the point was that you know we've got the best parties the best sorry we've got the best policies on women's equality than any of the other parties that's you know that's that's it and we are running to get the other parties to take on board our, like you know we've, we open source everything at the snap general election in 2017 we delivered copies of our manifesto to all of the other political parties saying you know, here you go. Please take all of these, and then we'll go home. You know? And have you found any other parties particularly receptive to your ideas? Have any been better than others? To be fair, we've had um, uh, we've had a, a very uh, friendly response from pretty much all of them. Um, uh, some more private. You know, there are uh, certain uh, women who you know are very, very supportive in private, you know, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> uh, but they don't want to say it publicly, you know, because it would, uh, you know, we're working in a really tribal system. Um, and uh, we're the only party, the Women's Equality Party is the only party that offers joint membership, affiliate membership. You can be a member of any other party, apart from the BNP, thank you, and uh, we don't want you. And, um, and so UKIP? Uh, I don't think we've got any UKIP members. Um, uh, I imagine it's a fairly small Venn diagram of... <laughs> No, we have like People we have joint we have joint members from Labour, Greens, Lib Dem, Tory. I suppose the problem is SNP. Those parties prevent members being members of two parties. Right, but what's really interesting is that their members are members of the Women's Equality Party. Naughty. And then, yeah, but it's really not a good look, is it, to turn around and say you support women's equality? Off with you. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, we get away with it. Well, that's good. Um, just in terms of the six principles, which are now seven. Yes. Um, uh, they are uh, equal representation in politics and business, equal representation in education, equal pay, equal treatment of women in the media, equal parenting rights, and an end to violence against women. And the s- seventh is that six? That that's six. So uh, the seventh is equal health care. Equal health care. <coughs> um, in terms of equal representation in politics and business, uh, in politics, I guess we're talking quotas. We're talking quotas on all of it. And what would what would those quotas be? Fifty percent uh, in terms of the House of Commons. We'd be looking to get uh, you know equal fifty fifty, um, uh, and 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 quotas is absolutely you know we could put if we could put the House of Commons into special measures we could do it into yeah. two elections, you know which the way we're going means you know what eighteen months, <laughs> you know it's exactly, like yeah. it's totally it's totally doable and I I really love talking about quotas because it really pisses people off a certain a certain number of people get really really like outraged by the idea of quotas and to me I it just there's so many myths around quotas you know the idea that um, 
uh, you know, introducing a quota system so that you have equal numbers of women in business and politics is some sort of a fix. But, you know, inviting a woman to join the board every 10 years so you can say you've got one yeah. isn't a fix is, you know, it's ludicrous. We've, we've, been oper- we've been existing under a quota system for centuries. It's just it was a quota for men. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, the problem that I used to work for the Labour Party, and um, we uh, had a long legal battle about all women shortlists, mm. and we uh, had a policy in local government of uh, trying to achieve 50-50 gender representation on uh, local mm. Labour groups. And that would involve when uh, a councillor dies or we lose a seat or whatever, the candidate was automatically female. I was shocked at how much resistance that yeah. policy uh, was met by, particularly uh, local members yeah. who were deeply suspicious of it. Uh, I was threatened with legal action when I worked for the party for imposing all women shortlists in certain parts of the country. It was I was shocked that the Labour Party was so institutionally sexist, which mm. was the only conclusion you could draw from it, really. Mm-hmm. And people would find all sorts of excuses to why they'd say, "I agree with them in general, but in this specific sense, <laughs> yes, you just know, do well, it over there. You're t- over, the, over there, over there. Why they this, need one well, over there? Why does this one <laughs> corner of Northampton need a man? <laughs> and usually, oh, well, let's talk about Northampton. I mean, you know, there's. Well, blimey, there's no better example of how a local council can go completely sideways it in was, Northamptonshire, right? I mean, there's all sorts of uh, examples, all over the country. But it was yeah. I was shocked at how petty and mm-hmm. just frankly how crap the arguments against it were. Yes. I totally understand the opposition to it. I didn't agree with it. But uh, no argument against it was ever convincing, really. Yes. Uh, uh, and it was a real... It, that was the fir- not the first time I realised that the Labour Party had some deeply regressive, small-c conservative values within it. Um, but it was, the, it was the first major row I had sort of with uh, our own members over things like yeah. that, let alone uh, race and, at times, sexuality. Um, I, I just... So that was a personal experience of mine that, that was kind of a, a wake-up call. And I wouldn't have a problem with the 50-50 part. And I just think if, if you explained it, or if most people understood, part of the problem I have is is that people wrongly assume that it would stop excellent yeah, men. Yes, yeah. Where 
it, all it's doing is saying most there are so many crap politicians out there, and just by fact, just by the, the simple deduction of the fact that most politicians are white blokes, most of the mediocre ones are white blokes, mm. and we've had a lot of mediocre white men in a lot of positions of power, not just in politics, for a very long time, and all we're saying is, really, let's have better candidates. People, the, the problem is the, the way better, that people... Better means it. white male, though. Like, in so many people's minds... It does, yes, yeah, sadly. means white male. And I think that, you know, that's that's essentially what you're up against. I mean, I, I think, you know, God bless the Labour Party's all-women shortlists. I mean, they've been totally brilliant. Yeah. And um, particularly given the the difficulties that, that they've been up against. But I think, the, the you know, the biggest thing they reveal is that, like... The failure of politics, and let's face it, it's failed. It's failing. It's catastrophe out there. The failure of politics is a failure of representation. Yes. And um, and that has brought about a situation in which um, not only are we not able uh, to create policies that reflect the, the lived experiences of the entire population, we are also unable to see that we are not creating policies yes. that respect the, 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 you know, that respect and reflect the lived experiences of people other than white men. One of the, the one of the challenges that went with all women shortlist was also convincing women in the local branch to to even consider standing. Yeah, that was very very difficult. Partly because, um, you know. They're, partly because they were arguably intimidated by uh, the sort of men who controlled the, the politics of the area at the time, perhaps, but also because it hadn't occurred to, to some local members that male and female that they could ever kind of even stand to be on Northampton Borough Council. Mm. But it, it, it struck me as, particularly at that time in that place, it, it did seem harder to convince women to stand. I mean, is, is that a is that restricted to that part of the country, do you think? Or, or or is that a kind of social phenomenon? No, I mean, like, why on earth would any woman want to go into politics? It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's full of men shouting at each other. Um, I and, wonder why most men would want to go uh, into the uh, And, you know, and it's, um, it's an environment in which, you know, as soon as you raise your head, you get called all sorts of shit on social media. Yeah. You get death threats, you get rape threats. Um... You know, it's not it's not very welcoming. It's not. I think you know the women who are doing politics are doing. You know, and this is why you know I totally adore my sisters in the Women's Equality Party because they're not just doing politics; they're doing it differently. They're trying to do it differently. They're saying, you know, we have to do this differently now. We have to create a politics that works for women, in which women can be seen and heard, in which they can express themselves, in which we can understand different forms of leadership, and 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 you know, and just do the whole bloody thing differently. Because, you know, I, I listen. I. I get the whole ask her to stand stuff, you know, the, all the stuff that happened last year, the centenary, yes. of, you know, ask a brilliant woman to stand. It's a bit like lean in for politics, right? And I'm not a fan of lean in. Why not? Because it tells women to, like, it's about fixing the women. It's about saying, you know, ladies, all you have to do to to change centuries of legislative, economic and societal discrimination is try harder. And and I think that unless we are saying to women, I'm going to give you huge amounts of money to do this, I'm going to invest in you for the next three mm. to five years, because let's face it, women also don't have the money to do politics. They, they earn less, there's a pay gap, there's a care gap. 
you know, they don't have savings, they don't have the pensions, they don't, you know, that really matters and it makes a huge difference. Um, So unless you are saying, here's, here's, here's a big big chunks of money are needed to do this and 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 we are going to like we're going to be your sisters we're going to take your arms we're going to be with you we're going to link it take your arms sounds like hostage situation i meant like we're going to link we're going to chop them off yeah no we're going to link arms with you we're going to do this with you we've got your back we are not you know because what happens at the moment is i think uh, there's a there's a well there might be the beginning of an understanding that we are woefully behind in terms of women's representation that the mechanics are not there. Uh, there's a lot of sort of top-down training, uh, you know, from well-meaning white middle-class women saying, focusing on what you should wear, uh, you know, or d- like, get, you know, have the right kind of hairdo and don't look too threatening. That's not that's not going to get women into politics. And I and furthermore, I think there has never been a like there has never been a more need for women's talent, and there has never been a bigger pool of women's talent precisely because of you know David Cameron's big society that will give it a posh name and get the women to do it for free right Mm. so all those women who've been holding up communities like keeping the food banks open keeping the childcare centres open you know I I got into politics because I I and a group of other women set up a support group for parents of girls with autism you know we were we were like we were on our knees we couldn't get the support we couldn't get the resources we couldn't we felt isolated we couldn't get out the house um and we put together a group of phenomenal women who now all support each other look after each other who've become you know you know really really good at taking on the local authority (laughs) You, you you have but that's but that's how you get women into politics you have to understand that you have to like they're doing us, women are doing us a favour by going into politics. It's not this sort of like, well, we'll let you in and see how you get on. You hinted at it there um, about women not have the, having the economic means to sort of uh, sustain the early years in politics. And, and when you left the leadership of the party, you said you were frustrated by the limits of your own work to ensure that women of colour, working class women and disabled women see themselves reflected in this party and that they can lead this movement. Obviously, uh, Women from more affluent backgrounds can afford mm. to do it. Um, how difficult is it to particularly get women of the backgrounds you described there, black women, Asian women, working class women, mm. into not just politics, but the, mm. specifically the Women's Equality Party? Well, I think that, um, I mean, that's, this is the, the task I have set myself, basically, from here on in, is that I... Um, uh, looking at ways to encourage and support brilliant female community activists both to um to support the community work that they're doing and and then to move into um politics whether at local or national level um and what i've learned from uh the women's equality party is that um uh it's about finding um it's about it's about building trust and and that often it's like what's really important is to find um uh community gatekeepers if you like you know it's not about me turning up saying hello i'm here to help <laughs> uh it's about finding ways to um uh, uh ask um and encourage and support those women to come forward and you know those are communities where there's a huge amount of distrust there's a you know there's a big gap um between a lot of those women and the sort of you know structures 
of government at whatever level and and it's difficult it's really difficult and i and but i also think that you know again that's that's one of the things we learned at the women's ecology party like we started without having everybody in the room and when you do that you know you're you're not you're not you're you're then always making up for the mistake that you made at the beginning i just wondered if and there may not be specific issues the Women Equality Party Women's Equality Party faces when dealing with women of those backgrounds that maybe other parties do or don't face. You know, if uh for instance women in particular lines of work through the trade union may have a, a loyalty to the Labour Party mm. and say, well actually I am not going to join another political party, that's mm. where I see myself. Mm. Are, there, are there any factors like that at all in different communities? Um I don't I mean I think there is a certain, you know, as there's a certain amount of like we have to work within this failing voting system, right? I mean that that was the that's always been the most difficult, you know, mm. this totally dilapidated, shonky, useless, like I've got steam coming out of my ears <laughs> at this point, voting system that insists that we vote for the least worst option, yeah, um, has always been. The, the biggest barrier to progress for any small party you know it was the greens have experienced it the lib dems have experienced it we've experienced it and i think but but that's but then you know we combat that through the women's equality party by saying um you know we're not doing this for power we're doing it for um outcome so uh you know us being part of the political scene uh, we hope encourages the other parties to steal our policies. We would rather, you know, by so first of all, we get an immediately result now. Whenever we run in any election, the, most of the other parties immediately put up a woman. So we're doing wonders for female yeah. representation, you know, whether we win the seat or not, because it's like, oh, shit, the Women's Equality Party is running, we better find a woman. Um, uh, but also we see that, um, you know, other parties then take on our, our policies where we have where we have run. You know, I when I ran, f- you know, against Sadiq, he he nicked our policy on having on the on the uh, having a, a pay audit, gender pay gap audit at City Hall. That was a, that was a great idea. It was our idea. Um, when I ran against Philip Davis in Shipley, I was going to ask you about um, because, you know, Labour uh, didn't uh, have that as a target seat. Um, I spent most of that election um, uh, dealing with abuse from Labour, frankly. This is our election to lose, how dare you? Um, <laughs> and was uh, that from the candidate or from activists? It was from activists. I was trolled and abused. People used to cross the road to shout at me. It was spat on. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Uh, because um, because they were outraged, you know, because Labour is the party of equality and mm. the, the, uh, the outrage that these upstart women's equality party would be there. You know, I was a carpetbagger coming from London. I was, you know, uh, and I and I I, I I I had a lot of sympathy with all of those people because that like that should have been a target seat for Labour. Yes. I totally understand their fury at having to live with this man as their representative. And not just any man. Philip Davis, who is the possibly one of the worst representations of uh, of men. Um, I mean, did did you but, encounter but the, him at all during the campaign? Oh, yes. And if so, how did he? What was he like? Charming. I mean, he's always very polite. He's very very polite, as Philip. You know, he's um um uh. To, I mean, he was yeah. He was nothing other than courteous to me. I mean, do you get the sense at all that your your presence there might have made him think twice about his own politics, might have changed his mind at all? <laughs> no. I mean, it was just this last week, isn't it? He's gone off to, you know, speak at some um, man-baby conference. Um, 
Uh, I mean, the point of us, I'm, you know, I don't regret Shipley for a minute because Labour's now made it a target seat and they've put a, a woman candidate in. It wasn't a target seat and they were running a, the same male candidate that lost by a vast majority the previous election. So that for me is a result. Um, it was it was it was a tough, tough, tough election, that one. Um, it was absolutely worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think standing in any election is worthwhile. Um but what a fascinating experience. You stand against this kind of, you know, poster boy for the misogynist movement in many people's eyes. And yet it's the Labour activists that are giving you hell. But I get it. I mean, I totally get it. When, when you uh, give your heart and soul to a party that says it stands for equality mm. um, and then fails to deliver... You're you're not going to express that rage with the party. You're going to express that rage against the person that is, you know is is the easy target. If and you're that, I, if and you're that was, way inclined, and I was an easier target. Um, you, you set up a, a, a it's a campaign, the right word, or a movement called Activate. Yes, um, which is to uh, to champion extraordinary women and channel their talents and perspectives into solutions that can renew our failing economic and social models. So this is a continuation, really, of the of the work you were doing as leader of the Women's Equality Party. Does it differ in any way? Um, it's supposed to. I mean, it's in very it's very very early days, and um, I'm trying to look at it um, through all of the learning that I've taken from the Women's Equality Party about how best to grow um, a project that aims to support and represent women from minority communities. Um, I What I really wanted to do, um, uh, having got out of the way for Mandu, was to um, encourage more women to, um, to, to be political. I really felt... I, I mean, I... I'm so sad. I'm so sad at the state of politics. Mm. I mean, I genuinely really sad. Oh, I, I am. mean, I, you know, underneath the sort of anger and frothing at the mouth and shouting at the radio <laughs> in the mornings, it's, you know, I'm just really, really sad that um, we have got to where we have got to because, I mean, it's interesting. I think, in some ways, I think it's the ultimate culmination of, um, you know, the individualistic society, you know, the the, the idea that's been rammed down our throats for decades now that it's you know it's it's a it's on you everything is on you you know we live alone essentially um and 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 that we lost a sense of common purpose and it's in that environment in which you know the individual who feels aggrieved that you know his voice is being heard less than the voice of somebody knew who also was demanding to be heard it becomes very quickly a very sort of defensive and aggressive conversation rather than a seeking to sort of say okay so what what, what do we what do we have in common yes. and what is it that 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 you know that you that you that you lack that you, you might feel i have i mean it's also been very cynically stoked by you know we're going to take money out of public services for 10 years and then we're going to tell you it's the fault of migrants rather than you know uh, Conservative Party policy, although you know austerity was not, as we know, just the Tory Party policy; it was a Labour policy as well. Indeed. Um, uh, but look at. But my point is that I think that, um, that we we desperately need new talent. We desperately, desperately need the lived experiences again. And I keep coming back to this. I know I'm a bit of a st- stuck record, but there are women 
working to keep communities together whose expertise is absolutely vital to rebuilding politics. One of the most staggering and disappointing things that I kept discovering in, in, in you know, doing politics was the number of people in Westminster, and there are some excellent women in Westminster, don't get me wrong, but the, the, the huge numbers of people in Westminster who have no understanding of social infrastructure, yeah. no appreciation of it, you know, they don't need it, they don't care about it, they don't see it, you know, the the fact the idea that social you know social infrastructure could be an investment rather than expense you know yeah. so for me this what i want to do is is it operates on so many different levels i want to be able to build um, a politics that in which we do equal investment in social infrastructure in order to do that i think we we have to get more politicians with direct experience of you know building that social infrastructure and understanding its importance in the practical sense of what activate can and will do how do you do that are you going to you know what what are the practical ways in which you're going to get people in i mean do you think right we're, we're going to go to particular areas and run sessions or is it going to be online um how do you reach people well all that is you know I'm, i've got i'm putting together a working group we are looking at how to do that uh, money is really important i mean when i said it earlier i meant it money is really really important um, and I think that um, uh, a key part of this is going to be um, getting funding uh, women to be able to uh, both achieve what they want to achieve with their community projects and also to be able to, you know, to invest in women to do politics. And, you know, the Women's Equality Party is already doing this. You know, it's the only political party that invests in childcare bursaries for candidates, you know, so that you, can, so that you can actually hire a babysitter so you can go out canvassing. Um, we're the only, it's the only party that, that provides uh, bursaries for low income um, can, you know, candidates on low incomes. So it might act, charity is the wrong word, but certainly as a, an organisation will provide resources to individuals to help them get into politics in some sort of maybe financial way. Um, I mean, we'll put a link to the website in, in the in the the show notes of this show so if people want to find Wicked. out more if they Thank want you. to donate in future they can you know sign Thank up you. and they can follow you and all the rest of it uh or is it kind of i'm just trying to uh, trying to figure out what it is I, I know what it's trying to do but like we run online courses would there be kind of uh, i'm trying to think creatively about i'm a bit dubious about training i yeah. you know i i don't i actually think the expertise is there um and i think that there's there is certainly uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, there's, you know, it's about solidarity and networks, um, and and encouragement. Um, I, I this sort of thing about oh, you have to build up women's confidence because they don't believe in themselves. Um, I think the best way to sort of <laughs> build up women's confidence is to get out of the way for them. Well, you look to me like I need to resign from this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll have that seat. Thank <laughs> really, you very much. It really burned through me at that point. <laughs> Um, well, I agree, but I, I guess it, I guess what I'm thinking about is, is is the specific work of Activate rather than the sort of broader. No, absolutely, point. and that's and that's what we're still working on, you know. Because but it's because, exciting, yeah. Because I'm trying to grow it from the bottom up. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to sort of canvas uh, women from those communities about, you know, what 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 would encourage you to do this? What would encourage you to go to to go into politics? Do you like many of the women I, I I'm saying, you know, what did you what got into uh, you know what got you into activism? And they'd be like, I'm not an activist. I'm just, you know doing this thing because nobody else was. I just wonder how much you can do online and how much even online kind of excludes certain people. Yeah. So then I, how do you combat that? Well, I, first, I mean, 
I and I think this is possibly a bit of a reaction to um, the uh, difficulties of having any sort of honest political debate, and I say honest, meaning uh, kind and honest, yeah. a political debate on social media, um, is that I, you know, I want, I'm thinking, I, I find that I'm increasingly thinking small, personal, mm. intimate, like one-to-one conversations, you know, I think I think that is how you rebuild politics. There's no I substitute really for it. I really do. I mean, I you know, all that canvassing that we've done as the Women's Equality Party, all that you know, going to the doorsteps and talking to people. Uh, every every political party does it, but I think there's something about making space for it, like a different kind of space to have a political conversation. I yes. mean, every week I just look at Twitter and I think, why am I still here? It's a cesspit. Um, but then I but then you know there are wonderful people on there, and I you know we have great conversations. I but but I but it's. We do. We talk politics in a shorthand now. You know, everybody's got their box. Everybody's got their battle cry. Everybody's got their like six easy answers to whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, I I think I think I honestly think social media is done. I think we need to go back to just sitting in a room and eyeballing each other and and just thinking about starting to think about this stuff differently. I was never convinced that social media was a substitute for proper political engagement. I think it has its benefits in terms of being able to spread news quickly, uh, to be able to connect people. Yeah. And particularly but, and particularly young people, yeah. you know, the, the whole movements built uh through Instagram uh messaging groups uh are, you know, I, that's I'm not saying it's not it's not relevant it's not relevant or important in terms of particularly movement building, but I just think we um we have got to um, we've got to like come back together with kindness and you can't be sitting down opposite someone I just think it's much I th- just think it's easier to be kind to people yeah. when you're in the same room well it's certainly harder to be rude because <laughs> people wouldn't say the thing oh maybe they would if they were Labour activists in Shipley most, <laughs> most people most people wouldn't say the things that they say online to people's faces uh, I don't I mean I you know I I just think that political conversation on social media is so cynical. It is so cynical. Oh, I can't stand it. I, I mean, you can't... But then, I mean, you know, like, a lot of it is... I mean, cynic, a lot of it is done very cynically, right? I mean, a lot of it, whether it's on social media or not, there's sort of the idea that, um, you know, uh, this demand for respect... Yeah. I demand respect. You know, if we're going to do identity politics, then I, you must see me. Yeah. You must see me, this poor white man. Um, you know, uh, see me, respect me. Um, and, and and the people who, you know, are trying to say, well, OK, well, we have to make space for everybody. We have to listen to everybody's voice. OK, well, yes, I'll shift along, have a space at the table. Right, now give me more respect. It's like, yeah. well, hang on a minute. This is a two-way thing. Like, what, what, does, what does respect mean to you? What does, you know, what is it that you don't have that you want? What, like, can we... Like, can we just stop uh, pre- pretending to have all the answers? That's what worries me the most. Like, there are so many people out there pretending to have all the answers. I think politics will benefit when we can all start saying, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, most of us don't know most things. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That is just a fact of life. And yet, if you admit you don't know stuff... Right! Yeah, you're, you're dead in the piled water. on. Yeah. Um, you said you talk about social media. You said something fascinating on social media that that, that so many people have you know have thought about and, and maybe said before. Um, 
uh, about uh, the common factor in extreme acts of mass violence that are committed by men. Between 2001 and 2017, men have made up 91% of all terrorism-related arrests in the UK. Since 9-11, 89% of terrorist attacks in the US have been carried out by men. From 1982 to 2018, 97% of mass shooters in the US have been men. Now, as a man... I mean, this is a, a sort of painful thing to reflect on. And I don't know enough about the, the science of it. You know, we're talking about things we don't know. I mean, it's an awful reflection of mankind in the sense of the, the male gender. Why do you think so much... I mean, the vast majority of all violence is committed by men in every regard. Why is that? You tell me. You're a bloke. I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I try and I, I think it is a mixture of so many things, and I'm wandering into this in almost complete ignorance of, I think, the things that we would agree on are that, uh, you know, power in society is still overwhelmingly in the hands of men, and not just in terms of constitutional power, but social power, power within relationships. So men have a license to behave in a worse way. Society doesn't judge them as as harshly. Perhaps uh, men's anger is different. Men's physical anger is different. I don't know. I, I, I struggle with it. I struggle to understand it. Well, um, the reaction to that tweet I sent um, said a huge amount, actually. But you can't into, argue into, with the facts, can you? This is the problem. Oh. That, well, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, what am um, I saying? I beg your pardon. <laughs> no, what? This is Twitter we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> But I just, it, these facts, you know, whenever you see, you know, right, so prisons was, are full of men. Right, know. so what was really interesting about this was that um, it was the morning of the Christchurch massacre. And uh, and I, like so many other people, was just uh, appalled and, and heartbroken to see this news and, you know, shocked to see this dreadful news uh, unfold. And I, you know, sent a tweet out saying, you know, I... My heart goes out to all of these people. Can we now please start to talk about, you know, uh, the the violence as expressed by men that is like the biggest threat to peace? And within like five minutes of this tweet going out, um, uh, one of the biggest, uh, uh, like the two biggest male presenters on BBC and ITV had both sent tweets out saying, oh, shut up. This is ridiculous, essentially. One of them said it in almost like that, and one of them said, um, now is not the time to talk about gender. It's just not. And and so this... And it was really... It was like, and that was Piers Morgan and Dan Walker. And the pylon was like, you know, it was epic. Yeah. I've had Twitter pylons before, but it was it was epic. And the the rage and defensiveness and and fury uh i think spoke volumes about precisely what i was trying yes. to 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 explore which is you know there there is a there is a particularly uh male response that we've got to start we've got to start to we've got to start to understand why this is happening and particularly we need to be looking at um, the 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 role of this um, hyper masculinity in acts of terror, uh, you know, whether it's uh, ISIS or incels, there is a commonality here, which is an expression of masculinity through hyper violence, as a reaction to a world in which 
you know, there are more women in the workplace to which women's voices are being seen and heard. Uh, to to uh, threats of tra- very traditional roles. Mm. Um, you know, we we are seeing every day now. Uh, uh, because of this rise of, of populism, women's re- reproductive rights being rolled back um, in various parts of Europe as well as in the United States. We are seeing the re-establishment of, for example, the church um, as being key to um, uh, uh, c- communities and 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 those and and that and a very particular kind of role in which, essentially, men's jobs are protected um, uh, by you know. In part by getting women back into, um, into into the home, and 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 it was the first line of the Christchurch shooters manifesto was you know it's it's the birth rates it's the birth rates it's the birth rates his whole thing was about um, a, a very very uh, violent version of of masculinity and what I was trying to say is like so this morning you know we're all talking about everything that could have contributed to this attack the one thing that is absolutely outrageous to mention here is that yet again it was done it mm. it was uh, it was done by a man that's the thing that was you know that we're never allowed to talk about and I just felt like this is like we have to do this now we have to start talking about this there's never a bad time to talk about that I don't think um it I mean I often as I'm sure people do, get philosophical about the planet and worry about what the human race has done. When I think specifically about gender, I, you know, it's, it's hard not to look at history and just think, men are awful and <laughs> not feel some sort of responsibility for it all. I, I feel slightly uncomfortable. Uh, 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 some of uh, us are all right. I feel slightly uncomfortable about this because I'm, you know, uh, I... Uh, I I'm a feminist because I think that men and women um, are equal and should be equal and that uh, when men and women have equality of outcome as well as of opportunity, um, our economy thrives, our society thrives, um, uh, we all all do better. Um, I think that, um, uh, uh, you know... The catastrophe that we uh, face um, in terms of climate change um, is as much uh, uh, um, uh, is as much down to groupthink of um, of small groups of men. That's not all men. Yeah. Like I'm here. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> not all men. That's um, fine. Yeah, but I think that you know. I think I just. We've, uh, we've we've been doing it this way for too long. We need to do it differently now. It's an interesting point you make about um, economic opportunity and growth. Because there is a lot of evidence that actually economies grow better when women are in charge. And that actually, rather than having equality in that area, we should have more women in charge of our financial institutions uh, and businesses. Not just 50-50, but, but more. Yeah, but I th- what I th- want to do is to say I mean, what I'm trying to say is that there is a talent pool of individuals out there that we and we don't, you know, I think we we risk I think sometimes stereotyping women um, in business and women in politics. Women have been forced to organise differently because they exist in structures that oppress them. Right? Um, uh, somebody was asking me the other day, you know, what 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 do you think about multitasking? Women are just better at multitasking, aren't they? And I I said, well, I. It's that thing we have. We become better at multitasking because we have to, because we have no choice. Like we are, 
we exist in structures where we are expected to do a whole lot of things that men don't you know don't aren't expected to do that doesn't mean that we are biologically better at it it's like it's an adaptive survival strategy yes. that we're then told oh well it's just because you're you know you're just a lady and you're really mm. good at this stuff and and i sort of feel a bit like that about about having more women in business and having more women in politics i think you know what is 40 years since thatcher this 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 week yes um and i think she did a huge amount of damage in terms of setting up like the kinds of women that can succeed that that we then saw through so much of the 1980s which was you know uh there's basically two kinds of women, you know. There's like uh, we, we are told there's the there's the women who can be like the boys and wear trouser suits and stride around, you know, and be just like the boys if you sort of squint. It looks, it looks a bit like a man. Um, and then there's the sort of empathetic women who come round and give hugs at the end of difficult meetings, and they all work in HR. And I think that this sort of stereotyping of what women can bring is appalling. Yeah. And my aim is to is to just crack everything open and say there's like the God knows what's out there. We don't know what we can do because we've never had a chance to do it. So give us a chance. Uh, this might sound like an odd question, but how do you feel about men who describe themselves as feminists? I don't really care what you call yourself. I'm more interested in what you're doing. Uh, uh, that, that is a, a, a superb... I mean, I, I, I only asked that because I saw on the magazine stand the other day on the top of the spectator, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about men who describe themselves as feminists. I can't remember what it was, but it was a negative view of men who describe themselves as feminists. On the spectator? On the spectator. Surely some mistake. Of all organs. <laughs> um, but I just wondered, because I, I don't know whether I... I would like to think I'm a feminist, because I believe in equality in every regard. Therefore, that would make me a feminist. However... To openly describe myself as one is a kind of political statement, perhaps for some people designed to get a particular reaction. And therefore, I don't know whether to be cynical about men who describe themselves as feminists or think, actually, that's a good lead. I should be more vocal in saying that. I think that uh, I would like to see uh, more men being feminists rather than talking about what it means. So I'll just get on with it and not... I mean, I think... um, I mean, so... I care very much... um, I care about being a feminist. I care about the word feminism. I I hate that that word has been um, rebranded, very deliberately rebranded by misogynists over the decades to try to make it seem something that no reasonable person would want to associate with. You know, that that very sad uh, survey by the Fawcett Society a little while ago that found that, you know, while two-thirds of the UK believes in equality, only 7% would call themselves a feminist. I don't know what's more shocking about that, the fact that there's a third of the UK that... <laughs> just like, no, not for me. Yeah. No equality for me. Um, uh, but, um, so I'm, yeah, I mean, I would like... Um, I would like the word feminism to be reclaimed as for, for what it is but I also think that actually feminism is in the is in the doing of it I mean I think there are a lot of men who talk about feminism without actually you know doing it you know <laughs> would you like to just you know stop talking about feminism and go and pick your children up from school please um, Russell uh, Brand uh, naming, no, naming and many 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 others uh, but similarly I also think there's quite a lot of women who think that feminism is having a book club 
That's that's just a book club, isn't it? Uh, right, but you know, <laughs> I think you know what are you if you if you're a fe- if you're a, if you're a feminist, what you know, what are you doing? If you are you know working in your community with the aim of achieving equality for women, which women? Where? How are they? How are they? You know, what space are you making for them? How are they? Like, how are you listening to them? How are you taking your lead from them? How are you? You know, I just think this. Like we should challenge ourselves about what we're doing rather than having endless arguments about what it means. But then what a, what an exciting... I mean, it's a challenge I'm sure you'd rather not have, but what a, what an exciting challenge for you to have to be in a position where you can influence this and redefine what feminism means and influence things. I mean, what a, what a phenomenal opportunity you've got. That sounds quite terrifying, actually. I mean, I'm just, I, yeah, um, I think uh, I am just one of very, very many brilliant women doing this work. That's very modest, but you do, you know, and I take the point, but you do have, you know, you're, you're in a position where you could help, help spur huge social change. Well, I'd like to. What thrill! I'd like to be. I'd like to be part of making that happen. Yeah, I mean, but I also think that if there's one thing I have learned from this whole process, it's um, how little I still know. And that's a process that started when my daughter was being diagnosed with autism, and me really starting to think I don't, you know, I, neuro, neurotypical. That was a whole new word for me. You know, how does, you know what does it mean to be on the autism spectrum? What does it mean to have a, a, a mind that works differently? What does it mean to see the world differently? And and that, for me, is... Um, uh, that's 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 how you learn. Like, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable is 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 the aim. Sophie Walker, uh, I, I've already taken more of your time than I promised I would, and uh, I don't feel like we've even talked about half the things I would have liked to have talked about, but thank you so much for coming. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Well, there you go, Sophie Walker. What a phenomenal guest! And it's always what I find. Is, well, everyone who comes to this show is, is fascinating and has their own story to tell, their own perspectives and experience of politics. And it always, I just think, with anyone you talk to, you all—it's just a reminder that you should be thinking about the things that they care about more. Um, which I suppose is the the kind of effect of any political speech or engagement. But nevertheless, uh, uh, just a fantastic reminder of. So many things that fall down the agenda that are so important. Um, as promised, uh, you can click within the show notes uh, on uh, to find out more about Sophie's latest project, which is Time to Activate. You can go to their website as well, www.timetoactivate.org, if you'd like to sign up and see where that goes. But what an exciting future ahead, uh, not just for Sophie individually, but for, for that project and, and the wider implications that it that it could have. Um and you can follow Sophie on Twitter and you can find uh, her link in the show notes and it is at Sophie Running. Uh, as well, as I mentioned at the start, just a few tour dates left. Um, uh, you can get tickets for all of those through my website, mattford.com slash live. And they include Salford, 
Aberystwyth, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Newcastle, Chorley, Camberley and London. So thank you very much. I don't know why I said it like that. But thank you very much uh, to everyone who's come so far for all your lovely messages. It's been a real treat um, touring the UK with it. And uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. And please subscribe, share, tell people about it. And if you can, find it within your heart to leave an iTunes review. It really does find uh, it really helps other people find it. So thank you very much. And I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.